0: Today we want to start a new series um, on the will of man. And um, we're going to be looking at certain aspects of the makeup of man um, as leading up into the teaching on the will of man. And uh, it's important that we understand how the, uh, man is actually designed in order for us to understand certain spiritual truths as revealed to us in the scriptures, for if you know, if we don't understand how um, God has created us to function, then we are going to miss out on certain truths that are revealed to us in Scripture, and uh, we will not have full understanding as we ought to have. And so, one of the things that the Scripture does teach us right from the outset is that mankind is made up of two primary parts, and that is that we have the inward man and we have the outward man. Um, And it's really only in the New Testament that we see for the first time that uh, uh, the Lord Jesus and God the Father, obviously, have revealed to us just what the makeup of man is all about. Because under the Old Covenant, we don't really see those truths brought to light. But under the New Covenant, in the New Testament specifically, um, those truths are revealed to us. And it helps us to get a clearer understanding as to Um, what certain passages of the scripture, how we can apply them to our lives, and how it is that we can um, bring it all together. Because if we don't understand the fact that mankind is made up of different parts, um, scriptures can become confusing to us, and there can be statements made in the Bible that don't seem to make any sense but if we do understand that mankind is designed um, in these various areas god has created us um, far more complex than what uh, we have thought up until now uh, we will then be able to understand the scriptures a lot better just to give a a, a bit of of an example as to how a truth revealed in scripture can pass over the heads of individuals who do not understand um, the makeup of man, um, how it is that that scriptures can get misinterpreted and completely misunderstood. Um, The scripture we'll have a look at is our Lord speaking when he spoke to Nicodemus um, in the Gospel of John. And the scripture we'll look at is in John chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. And our Lord uh, is speaking, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So it's a very classic account here because our Lord and Nicodemus are speaking past each other. Now obviously our Lord understood Nic- Nicodemus's understanding, but Nicodemus had no understanding of what our Lord was talking about. Uh, we, in hindsight, once we're born again and we've come into the kingdom, we understand that that pe- passage of scripture, our Lord was speaking of being born again spiritually in other words our spirits would then be born again and it's through being born again in our spirits that we enter into the kingdom of god however nicodemus didn't understand that Uh, the scripture had not revealed to the old covenant saints that they were spirit beings um, and in fact that their spirits had to be born again and so nicodemus takes our lord's words literally and he, he he's trying to get his mind around the, the the statement made by the Lord Jesus. And he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so he's trying to think about this this, this comment made by this um, Jewish prophet, because he, he might have un- kind of understood that Jesus was the Messiah, but he, but he didn't have full understanding of that. And so he's trying to take these words spoken to him and he's trying to um relate it to his natural understanding and his natural understanding is that everybody is born through their mother's womb and so you know how's it possible for an individual when he's old to be born again through your mother's womb and so He doesn't understand what our Lord's speaking about. But we understand it, and and that is what our Lord was saying, is that it's the spirit of man that needs to be born again. And so it's only because we understand that there is such a thing as the spirit of man that we can understand what our Lord was saying, whereas Nicodemus couldn't grasp it at all. And so that's just one illustration of the fact that it's important for us as believers to have a clear understanding as to the makeup of man, uh, I'm talking about God's creation called mankind. Um, for God has created us in his image, and there are certain parts of man that uh, are different from other parts. And so we need to uh, understand how each part of man, in fact, does function and how it all, how it all fits together to make up the whole of man. Um, in order for us to fully understand certain aspects of the scripture and thus apply those aspects, those scriptures to our lives effectively and walk in them effectively. And so there was just one example given to us in scripture of the fact that uh, if we do not have clear understanding of the makeup of man, how uh, certain scriptures can become confusing to the individual. And so when we want to look at um, the makeup of man Um, as a whole we can also look to um, the natural man, we can look at at our physical bodies because that kind of gives us a uh, a pointer and it gives us indication of the fact uh, of the fact that our physical bodies are made up of different parts and because our physical bodies are made up of different parts it is possible that the, the rest of mankind is also made up of different parts um, and just to reinforce the fact that the Scripture does teach us that mankind is primarily made uh, up of two uh, primary parts, and that is the inward man and the outward man, the Scripture we'll look at is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, the Apostle Paul writing, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so we see very clearly in Scripture here that the Bible talks about the fact that there is an outward man and there is an inward man. Now uh, the outward man that the Scripture refers to here is in fact our physical bodies. These, uh, the Scriptures also refers to our bodies as an earthly tent. Um, and the Scripture says that our outward man is perishing. These physical bodies that we dwell in are not immortal, they are mortal bodies. And so they are not designed by God to dwell, uh, to live eternally. We will receive our resurrected bodies uh, from our Lord Jesus in the future, but until that time we dwell in mortal bodies. And these mortal bodies um, are designed by God to expire after a period of time. Um 70 to 80 years, and uh, then the body does perish and pass away. Uh, The inward man, the spirit of man, then departs to be with the Lord, for the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we have an inward man and we have this outward man. The outward man is perishing. The scripture teaches us that. And so these bodies are decaying. They're getting older each and every passing day. They're not designed to to function uh, eternally. but there is an inward man. Now the inward man dwells within this outward man, this earthly tent called our physical bodies. And so just as our physical bodies have different organs, uh, think about the the brain and the heart for argument's sake of the, of the physical body. The brain has one function, the heart has another function. Um, the eyes have a different function. The, you know, all these different parts of our body make up the whole body of man talking about now the physical body of man and so that's the concept we really want to get across with regards to the inward man because the inward man is also made up of different parts and it's important for us to understand that and to understand which part uh, how many parts there are and also which part has what function to play in uh the role of mankind And uh, if we understand that more clearly um, we will then as I say be able to comprehend uh, truths in the scripture a lot easier and be able to apply them in our lives more effectively. Um, And so the the inward man is in fact the real person. Uh, The outward man uh, that the Bible speaks about is our physical bodies. It is referred to as a tent The Bible does teach us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and so it is the real person who is then absent from the body they leave their bodies behind when when physical death occurs and they depart from their bodies to be present with the Lord those who know Christ Jesus and so the the real man is in fact the inward man um, that is who we are now we all only ever see when on this in this life we only ever see the outward man we don't get to see what the inward man looks like but by and large the inward man looks like the outward man just obviously uh, a lot better version thereof. Um, and so the inward man has different uh, terms given to it uh, you know, to say different terms given to it uh, we, 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 we're kind of dissecting mankind here today so you know the, it, when I say it we're talking about ourselves But uh, there are different terms, different names given to the inward man. One of the names given to the inward man is the soul of man. And um, in 1 Peter 3 verse 20, uh, Peter talks about the fact that eight souls were saved. Um, Noah, when uh, God saved him through the flood, uh, the scripture says eight souls were saved. It was Noah, his wife, uh, their three uh, sons and their wives. And those were the eight souls that were saved. And so, you know, the scripture does refer to the inward man as as the soul of man as well. Uh, Peter refers to that again in 1 Peter 3, 4, for he speaks um, of the hidden person of the heart. And so the inward man is also referred to as the heart of man. Um, so there are, you know, it's referred to as the soul of man, the heart of man. Um, so there are different... Uh, titles given to the inward man but uh, we want to now determine um, what really does the inward man uh, constitute or what what parts make up the inward man. Are there more than one part? Is there more than one part to the inner man? And we'll have a look in Scripture and the Scripture will reveal that to us that in fact there is. One scripture we can look at is in Psalm 139, uh, beginning in verse 13. The writer is speaking about God's creation of his inward man. And he says, For you formed my inward parts, plural, not one part, parts, plural. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well and so we see in this passage of scripture that the bible talks about the fact that the inward man there's more to it than just one part for he says um, you for you formed my inward parts plural and so he's not talking about his inward parts of his physical body and that he's talking about his kidney and his spleen and his uh, stomach and that, not at all. He's talking about the inward parts of the inward man. For he goes on to say, you covered me in my mother's womb. So when uh, when he's, he talks about uh, God covering us in our mother's womb, he's talking about the inward man being covered by the outward man. The outward man being this physical body, this tent that we dwell in, uh, in on this uh, earth that we dwell in here, in, in this life. Um, And so that's when God uh, covers our inward man with the outward man, uh, when we are being formed in the womb. Um, But nevertheless, the inward man, in fact, does have more than one part to it. Um, And so we want to look at some scriptures that will just give us um, an indication as to what does the inward man consist of. And when we go through the scripture, we will see that the inward man is made up of four different parts. And uh, those four different parts are the spirit of man. Um, And we kind of touched on the spirit of man in the the passage of scripture where our Lord was teaching Nicodemus that uh, we needed to be born again. We understand it is the spirit of man that is born again. And so the inward parts are made up of the spirit of man. The uh, Inward parts are also made up of the soul of man. Now I know that we've said in, and we looked in Scripture where the, the inward man is referred to as the soul. And we spoke about uh, um, Noah being saved and eight souls were saved by God at that time. Um, and the hidden person of the heart. And the, the inward man also being referred to as the heart of man. But in the passage of Scripture we'll have a look at in, in, in this uh, teaching today We will see that the soul is also uh, referred to as the mind of man. Those two uh, terms can be used interchangeably depending on the context of the passage of Scripture that you're reading at the time. So the soul could refer to the whole person, um, eight souls were saved, or it could refer to the mind of man depending on the context of the Scripture. Just as also in Scripture very often the words spirit and heart are used interchangeably. And so again, we need to um, just, depending on the context of the passage of Scripture, we can then determine, but by and large, the Scripture, um, when it's referring to the heart, is also referring to the spirit of man. But quite often, uh, the heart of man refers to the whole inner man, just as the soul of man also can refer to the whole inner man. And so this, the the man, the inward man is made up of the spirit, made up of the soul, the soul being the mind in this in, instance, it is made up of the conscience of man and it is made up of the will of man. So there are four separate parts to the inward man and um, it's important for us to understand just what role each part plays in the makeup of man so that when we read certain scriptures, we can know how to apply them in our lives and how to um, interpret what the, the scriptures are, in fact, saying uh, about man in that particular instance. And so, the scripture we would want to look at with regards to the different parts of the inward man. The first scripture we want to look at is in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 23. And the Holy Spirit is writing through the Apostle Paul to the church and he says now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and so here the Holy Spirit clearly divides for us mankind The makeup of man into three separate parts and remember we're saying overall we're saying that mankind is made up into five separate parts we're saying there is an outward man which is the physical body of man there is the inward man and I've already mentioned that the inward man is made up of the spirit the soul being the mind uh, the conscience and the will those very those four parts and we're going to have a look at the scripture along those lines This scripture that we just looked at now has identified three different parts of man. It's identified the spirit, the soul and the body. Now the body is the outward man and uh, we're not going to be really touching on the body today in today's teaching because we're wanting to concentrate more on the inward man. Primarily we want to concentrate on the will of man in this series of teachings. But we first need to identify the various parts of man. So here, we, with regards to the inward man, uh, the Holy Spirit has identified two separate parts for us. For he says, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. And so those are the three parts that the Holy Spirit has identified. The body being the outward man, but with, the, with regards to the inward man, he speaks about the spirit and the soul. And so he identifies two separate parts of man as part of the inward man, the spirit and the soul. Now, the spirit and the soul are not one and the same. Uh, a lot of... Uh, it's uh, scriptures would imply, you know, your soul and your, and your spirit you, are pretty much interchangeably. Your soul is your spirit and your spirit is your soul. But that's not the case at all. We just read where the Holy Spirit says, may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. And so the spirit and the soul, the Holy Spirit differentiates between the two here. Another scripture that we can look at where the Holy Spirit Uh, clearly differentiates between the spirit and the soul as being two separate parts of man Uh, we can look at that scripture which is in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 and the Holy Spirit says for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so here the Holy Spirit quite clearly tells us that the Word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, is able to divide the spirit and the soul of man. So quite clearly, if the spirit and the soul of man can be separated and can only be separated by the Word of God, by the way, uh, because God has designed the spirit and the soul of man to be completely joined together. They are two separate parts of man. However, God has designed mankind to operate in this manner in that the soul and the spirit have to function together. Just as uh, my 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 body cannot function without my heart, I, it needs the heart. My brain can't operate without the heart and vice versa. My heart can't function without a brain. Um, Together they form part of my body, and my body can function. Um, But nevertheless, they are two separate parts, and they can be separated. And so, in 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 pretty much in the same manner, Uh, the soul and the spirit of man can be separated. But then again, only by the word of God, because God has created the soul and the spirit of man to eternally dwell together, and to be uh, that the soul and the spirit together make up the some of the inner man, but there are the other two parts we're going to get to as well. And so the soul and the spirit can definitely, uh, are definitely two different parts of man and can be separated, the word of God teaches us that. And so we've seen now with with regards to our inner man, that there is definitely a case of, we have two parts that we've seen in scripture, and one is the spirit of man, and the other one is the soul of man. Both parts uh, together form part of the inward man. Um, Now there is another part of the inward man as well. The scripture refers, teaches us this truth as well. Now this is also interesting for us to see. As I made the statement right at the outset of this teaching, it is only in the New Testament that revelation is given to the church whereby she can start to learn and understand these truths. For these truths were not made known to the saints under the Old Covenant. There's no scriptural uh, grounds that you can go back into the Old Covenant and have a look. We did look at uh, the reference in the Psalms where uh, there is a re- reference made to the fact that we have inward parts, but the scripture in under the Old Covenant doesn't specify those various parts. It is only under the New Covenant, we uh, quoted in Thessalonians and again in the book of Hebrews where the scripture does differentiate between the soul and the spirit of man. In the same manner, the next part of man that is revealed to us uh, has been a part of the hidden man of the heart, the part of the inward man which is the conscience that is only revealed to us for the very first time in scripture, in the New Covenant uh, in the New Testament is never mentioned under the Old Covenant and in the Old Testament there's no mention made of the conscience of man. The very first time we hear mention made of the conscience of man is in the Gospel of John. Um, that's the very first time we, we hear mention of this part of man called the conscience. Now again this is new revelation given to the body of Christ saints of the old covenant didn't even understand that there was such a thing as a conscience but under the new covenant in the new testament this truth is revealed to us and so we see there is another part of our inward man and that part of man is called the conscience and uh, the apostle Paul um, made uh, uh, made it his aim to his conscience played a very Um, central role in his Christian walk Um, he mentions the conscience on numerous occasions by the way but we're only going to look at, because in this series of teachings we want to concentrate on the will of man, we don't really want to, um, because there's a lot more that can be said about the spirit of man and the soul of man being the mind of man I haven't really um, expounded on that truth I've just kind of mentioned it in passing but this series of teachings we really want to get down to looking at the will of man and not so much as the other parts of man those other three parts which is the spirit of man the soul of man being his mind and now the conscience of man the reason we don't do that is because they form those parts of man form part of another teaching and that forms out that falls outside of the scope of today's teaching but in Acts chapter 24 verse 16 we see mention of the conscience uh, Paul, well, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul write in, says this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. And so Paul made, and so this is only one uh, scripture that I'm, I'm putting out today, uh, there are numerous scriptures in the New Testament, specifically written by the Apostle Paul, where he refers to his conscience and the conscience of, of mankind. Um, and as I said, his conscience played a very important role in his walk as a believer. For he says, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Now, people say, but isn't your conscience your spirit? And it's not. The conscience is not the spirit. Uh, the conscience, again, I'm going to digress just slightly here. Um, Let's just have a look at at another scripture and then we'll we'll expound a little bit more on the conscience. Uh, The first time actually in the New Testament where we hear the word conscience mentioned is in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 9. It's a very interesting passage of scripture where the conscience is revealed to us, the truth of the conscience in existence is revealed to us for the very first time. Um, The scripture says, Then those who heard it "...being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst." And so the context is, uh, the the, the account that occurred when our Lord was teaching in the temple, and uh, um, certain men had caught this woman in adultery, and it was really a setup, we understand that, and they brought her before the Lord, and they said, "Now Moses has commanded us to stone her. But what do you say? And they obviously were challenging the Lord's um, st- standpoint with regards to the law, because you know how's the Lord again going to get around this? Because the Lord very plainly did state that an adulteress must be stoned, and also the adulterer had to be stoned as well. By the way, but he wasn't uh, available. Um, and so, you know, they obviously were wanting to, to challenge the Lord and get him to, you know, kind of say that the law is actually wrong. And, and so our Lord doesn't do that. Because what does our Lord do? He, he gets up and he said, all right, that's why Well, Young yeah, I'm paraphrasing. He said, that's true. The Lord does say you should stone her. So he said, okay, now, he among you who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So, our Lord doesn't say the law is wrong. We shouldn't, you know, Moses got it wrong. We shouldn't be doing that. What He does is He puts the ball back in their court and He says, Yes, but now let's put it into perspective. The God that's without sin among you, you can cast the first stone. So, the Lord actually gives them permission to stone her. Um, but they have to meet the requirement. He who is without sin among you. Now, what happens is a very important thing, because it goes very quiet. Um, and our Lord bends down and he writes again on the ground everybody says what did the Lord write on the ground I don't know when you get to heaven one day you can ask him and he might tell you I didn't write anything I was just doodling." but anyway what happened was is that when the silence fell these individuals consciences convicted them the scripture says and being convicted by their conscience they, they started to walk away the oldest to the youngest. and that's, um, So what happened here, we, you're talking about unbelievers. These are not disciples of Christ. These are not born-again believers. But nevertheless, each one of them had a conscience. And the Lord knew that. And so the Lord knew that if he could get their conscience to convict them that what they were trying to do was wrong, um, he could prevent them from doing what they were trying to do. And so that's exactly what happened. Because their conscience convicted them, and so everybody has a conscience, believers and unbelievers alike. And yeah, there's a whole long teaching that we, a series I do on the conscience of man. Um, and the conscience of man, you can go, you go right back to the Garden of Eden. You can see the conscience being made manifest. But nevertheless, it was never taught under the old covenant. Nobody knew about the conscience. Jesus knew about the conscience. He knew that their conscience would convict them. If you could just get everybody quiet and let them think a little bit, their conscience would take over and convict them. And so the conscience is not the spirit of man because every unbeliever is spiritually dead. Remember our Lord said to Nicodemus, we had to be born again. And so we understand that uh, the, the part of man that is born again is the spirit of man. Uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, I think. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new and all things have gone. Now, that new creation is the spirit of man that is born again. The conscience remains exactly the same because the, the, the role of the conscience of man is purely to convict man when they do wrong and to excuse man when they do right. That That's what the conscience does. The conscience says, Yes, you can do this. No, you can't do that. Uh, yes, no. That's, a, that's really what the conscience is. Um, but uh, I'm digressing a little bit too far here. But nevertheless, that, is, that truth is revealed to us in Scripture in the New Covenant, that mankind does have a conscience and everybody has a conscience. And so the conscience is not the spirit of man. Um, it is included as a part of man um, in the inward man. And so we've seen that we have, the inward man is made up of the spirit, he has a soul, and he also has a conscience. And each part of those parts of man that we've seen thus far have a different role to play in the makeup of man. And so it's all important for us to understand these truths. And the conscience has its own role to play. And so there is a conscience which forms part of the inward man. But now the scripture also reveals to us that there is another part of man called the will of man. Now, the will of man is again completely a separate part of the inward man. It forms a part of the inward man, but it's a separate part. Just like the conscience is a separate part, and the spirit and the soul are separate parts. These are the four main parts, well, these are the four parts revealed to us in Scripture which make up the inward man. And so let's have a look at the will of man because now that's obviously we wanting to get into that aspect of the makeup of man in more depth in this series of teachings, and uh, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Again, it's in the New Covenant, under the New in the New Testament, that these truths are revealed to us about the makeup of man. We don't see it under the Old Covenant. It's implied, but it's never uh, taught with clarity, and so you know people just don't quite understand, but under the New Covenant, we see it for the first time. Um, And the first uh, scripture we'll look at is in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. The scripture says, But as many as received him, talking about Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh the will of the flesh we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it later nor of the will of man but of God and so here very clearly the scripture talks about the fact that there is such a thing as the will of man uh, and so he says we, the, the one who are born again are not born of blood because it's, it's not a natural birth it's a spiritual rebirth nor of the will of the flesh and uh we won't really get into it, but, you know, the Scripture really plainly tells us that we're either to walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh under the New Covenant. Um, and our flesh does have uh, its own will. And, you know, the, uh, Paul, in writing in, in the book of Romans, he said, you know, I want to do the right stuff, but I find myself doing the wrong stuff. So what's doing it? And he realizes that, in fact, it's sin that dwells within his body, And so he calls his body the body of sin of the flesh. And so the, the flesh, the desires of the flesh is always to walk in sin. And so that's the differentiation here. But down the scripture goes on to say, nor the will of man, but of God. And so man definitely does have their own will, mankind. God has given unto mankind their own will. And the will of man forms part of the inward man. Another scripture we can have a look at is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. The scripture says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so, there, again, the scripture talks about the will of man. Again, these scriptures are only brought to light in the New Testament that we start to see these truths being revealed to us. In the New Testament, now the reason that the Holy Spirit starts to reveal these things to us is because He wants us to understand how mankind is made up, so that we can learn how to apply various scriptures in our lives. And then remember our Lord Jesus when He came to the earth, He came as a son of man. He was, you know, He he was a man just like we are, and so He operated just like we do. Um, and let's have a look at what he had to say about the will his own in luke's gospel luke 22 uh, verse 42 the scripture says saying father if it is your will take this cup away from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done so there's our lord jesus telling us very plainly that he has his own will and his will can go contrary to the will of god for our lord says not my will but yours be done quite clearly our lord's will was not to go to the cross by looking at what he had to endure our lord submitted his will to the will of the father but nevertheless at that point in time the lord's natural inclination that you know it's not a a good term to use, but it'll you know, bring the point across. His natural inclination was to, to uh, not draw back from the cross, but to you know, not really go into it uh, you know with open arms because he could see what was coming his way. Um, and so you know, Father, is there any other way we can get this thing done? Uh, is is kind of his prayer. But then he says, "But not my will, but yours be done." And so our Lord just clarifies the fact that. Mankind, even the Lord, has his own free will. And so our Lord submitted his will to the will of the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. So, Father, I'm submitting my will to your will. And that is really the the makeup of man, is that mankind has been given this um, gift by God, which is a free will. And that is really... uh, uh, as we get through the scriptures we will see that it is the will of man that reigns supreme in the makeup of man for it is as an act of our will that we do anything Um, god never forces any man to do uh, go against their will god always allows mankind to use their own will and that is what our lord jesus did our lord said father I'm not going to do what my will says my will says I don't want to do this I don't want to go to the cross but I'm not uh, not my will we're going to do it your way and so your will be done in my life and so uh, I trust that you you understand that mankind the inner man is that we have an outward man and we have an inward man the outward man is our physical bodies which is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. The inward man is also referred to in scripture as the soul of man and also as the the heart of man. The hidden man of the heart, Peter refers to him. And so the inward man, just as the outward man has different parts uh, made which make up the whole body. Uh, You have the body, you have the, the brain and the heart and the kidneys, all of that make up the whole body. So the inward man has different parts and those different parts make up the whole inward man. And the four different parts that scripture reveals to us in the new testament is the spirit of man the soul of man which is the mind of man as well um, the conscience of man and then the will of man and as we will go through scripture we will see that it is the will of man that in fact does reign supreme because we as an act of our will give our hearts to christ or we choose not to um, god never forces anyone into his kingdom um, and so the will of man does reign supreme, but it is a separate part of man. Um, the, the, the choice given to the New Testament believer uh, in the book of Ephesians and also in the book of Romans, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, this is charge you, the scripture says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so it is up to the individual believer to make the decision as to whether he's going to walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. Now how does he do that? As an act of his will. For it is the will that makes the decision. Uh, somebody's referred to your will as your decider. And that's, you know, it's a crude analogy, but in fact that's pretty accurate as well. Because it is as an act of our will that we decide, all right, I'm going to follow after Christ or no, I'm not going to follow after Christ in this, so I'm going to commit sin. And um, whichever you know whatever we're talking about but it's it's the will that decides the spirit of man which is born again never makes the decision because the spirit of man as we go into other teachings on the other parts of man the spirit of man specifically uh, will always want to serve god 100 percent. and so if our spirits were controlling us um the christian would have no problems because the christian would just walk in righteousness because the spirit of man Born again spirit of man only wants to walk in righteousness. The flesh of man doesn't. We read in a passage of scripture that the flesh has its own will as well, and so um, the flesh wants to commit sin. The spirit wants to walk in righteousness. Um, and so, if 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 it was the flesh that was only dominating the born again believer, they would never they would continue to commit sin. They would never be able to do anything in righteousness because their flesh doesn't. Um, the Bible says that the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. And the carnal mind is part of the flesh. The flesh is made up of the physical bodies and a and carnal thinking. And so you know, a, a carnal uh, believer would never be able to submit to the Word of God. Um, and so they would always walk in sin. <clears throat> and so who makes the decision as to whether the believer is going to walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh? It's the will of man their will, they make that decision. Our Lord said, Father, not my will be done, but your will. And so, as an act of his will, our Lord submitted his own will to the will of the Father. And so, those are the four parts of man. The spirit of man, the soul of man, which is the mind, uh, the conscience of man, and then the will of man. And so, we want to look in this series of teaching at the will of man, and just what role the will plays, and I've kind of alluded to part of it already, Um, and how that all interacts with our Christian walk, this will of man. But in order for us to understand the will of man, um, we are going to firstly look at the will of God, because as we will see in in this series of teachings, it is impossible for us to understand the will of man without um, understanding how the will of God applies to mankind, because people struggle with this concept, because uh, they struggle with the concept that God has given to each one of us a free will. Um, Because if God has given me a free will, then... How is it that God's will is applied in my life? Because it's really up to me as to whether I want to submit to his will or not. Um, and so it kind of can be, well, the, the earth will be chaotic because everybody's just going to be doing their own thing. And so how do we reconcile the fact that mankind does have a free will? Because that is what the will is all about, about, by the way. Uh, it is given to us by God. It's a free will. In other words, God doesn't control our will. Um, that is the, the, the part of man that God has given to man which is a free agent um, our will is we're the only ones who can submit our will to the will of the Father God will not force us in this life to submit to his will it won't happen um, and so mankind has been given a free will and so we need to reconcile the will of God being done in our lives com- uh, compared to um, the f- this free will of man. Each one of us have been given a free will and we decide how we're going to live our lives on the earth. So how do we reconcile that with the fact that the will of God prevails in the earth? For God always, the Bible teaches us very plainly, He works all things together according to the counsel of His will. So how does that work out if each one of us have our own free will? And that's what we want to just Reconcile and have a look at. So we want to look at uh, God's will firstly before we look at the will of man. And we we see in Scripture that God has two aspects to His will. He has His perfect will, and He has His permissible will. Um, and that's really the, the 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 crux of the aspect with regards to the will of God. And if we understand the difference between God's perfect will and God's permissive will, then it answers a lot of questions for us with regards to things that take place in our lives and also with what we see in scripture. And um, so let's have a look at a scripture that highlights this truth for us, which is in Romans chapter 12, verse two. And the scripture says, and do not be conformed to this world, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so here we see the mind referred to and I've been alluding to the fact that our soul and our mind are all the same as the inner part, part of the inward man. Um, And it's our spirits that are born again. The Spirit is made a new creation in Christ Jesus. But our minds aren't. Our minds do not change. We have to renew our minds when we come into the kingdom of God. And that's what the scripture says. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he goes on to say that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so there's two aspects to the will of God that is revealed to us here. The acceptable will of God and the perfect will of God. Now the acceptable uh that word also carries with it the meaning of permissible. And so our Lord d- does reveal to us here and the Holy Spirit, again, these truths are revealed to us for the, really for the first time in, in the New Testament, um, that there is such a thing as the perfect will of God, and there is such a thing as the permissible will of God or the acceptable will of God. And so in order for us to understand this concept about the fact that God has his perfect will and he has his permissible will we can go back to scripture and we can have a look and see at how God actually um, applies his perfect will and his permissible will in scripture um, and so what does it mean to walk in God's permissible will well you know God has his perfect will for our lives um, And if we choose not to walk in His perfect will, God permits us to do that. And so by default, we then walk in His permissible will. For God never forces His creation to do anything in this life. Uh, Outside of this life, things change. But in this life, God never forces His creations to do anything. Talk about mankind now. And angels fall into the same category, but we're not touching on them today. But with regards to mankind, God never forces mankind to do anything. And so God has his perfect will for mankind in general. He has his perfect will for nations. He has his perfect will for individuals. Um, And so it is up to the individual to submit their will to the perfect will of God the Father. Remember our Lord praying, Father not my will but yours be done. And so our Lord Jesus was submitting his will to the perfect will of the Father. Now if anyone chooses not to submit to the perfect will of God, by default they are then walking in his permissible will. Why is why do I say that? Because God permits that to happen. God does not force anybody to do that which they don't want to do. God does not create robots. And so we're not very sophisticated machines that have these programs and God just you know changes a bit of code and so now we're going in that direction. Not at all. We are made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And so we have this ability, a God-given ability, to make our own choice. And it is our choice. We make it. God does not force us to make any choice. So I, t- I trust you kind of understand this concept that God has his perfect will. Um, and mankind, if we choose to walk in his perfect will, well, then we are walking in his perfect will. If we choose not to walk in his perfect will, well, then by default, we now walk in, in his permissible will because God then permits us to do that. And. Um, Because God doesn't force us to do what He wants us to do. And so we can go look at some scripture to to help us to understand this concept. And we'll go back to the Old Covenant to have a look at uh, uh, some examples uh, to understand this concept. And scripture we'll look at is in 1 Samuel chapter 8 beginning at verse 4. Scripture says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And so very clearly here in this passage of scripture, it was God's perfect will for the nation of Israel that he should reign over them as their king. It was never God's intention that they should have a natural king over them. When I say natural, I'm talking about a, a, a human king over them. He It was his perfect will that he was to be their king. You say, well, what about uh, he raised up Saul and he raised up David? He did that because of the choice that Israel made. Because God had told them right from the outset, I will be your king. I will reign over you. And he, God had provided judges for them. And that was God's um, plan for Israel, that they would have these judges that would rule them. Uh, When I uh, rule them, the the judges would really just arbitrate um, and and act as intermediary between uh, God and and, and the nation of Israel, but that God would be their king. However, we see here that the nation of Israel said, no, 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 we've looked at the nations around us, and they've got a better system. They've got kings that reign over. We want a king just like they have. And so Samuel gets a bit angry about the issue. He, He prays about it goes to the Lord. And the Lord's response is, yeah, that's fine. Give them what they've asked asked of you. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And so clearly the nation of Israel had rejected God's perfect will. For it was his perfect will that that he should reign over them as their king. They said, no, we don't want that. We want a human king to reign over us. And so what happened? God permitted that. He said um, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. And so when God said, okay, that's what they want they want a king, God then raised up a king for them. Saul was the first one, didn't do such a good job. David came after and he was about the best king they had Now, Josiah was actually most probably about one of the best kings they had but anyway um, but that was not God's perfect will. That was God's Permissible, God permitted that to for Israel because that's what they wanted. And so, God, okay, that's what you want, I'll allow that to happen. So, God permitted that to happen, it was not His express will. They were not saying, God, not our will be done, your will. Our will, we want a king in uh, a human king to reign over us, but your will says no, so we'll submit to your will. And they weren't doing that, they were saying, oh, We want our will. And so, God said, Okay, you can have it. And so god permitted them to have their king over them and so that was his permissible will it was not his perfect will for their lives Um, i trust you understood the the difference in that example given let's have a look at another example given to us um, in the new testament of um, individuals that rejected god's perfect will so remember we're teaching the concept here is that God has two aspects to His will. He has His perfect will, which is what He he always intended to happen. And then we have His permissible will. And His permissible will is Him permitting His creation to walk outside of His perfect will. That's the difference with regards to God's uh, will. And so the scripture we can look at is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning at verse 29. And the scripture says, And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And so it was God's perfect will for the nation of Israel at that time to be baptized by John god it was God's perfect will for everybody all the Jews to go to John and to be baptized by him in preparation for their coming Messiah but the scripture very clearly teaches us in verse 30 here and it says but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves um, not having, having been baptized by him and so God had very clearly made his perfect will known to Israel. Go to John and be baptized by him in preparation for your coming Messiah. The Pharisees and the lawyers said, no, we reject God's will in this issue. And we, we will not submit our will to his will. And we will do our will. God permitted that to happen. God did not force the Pharisees and the lawyers to go to John the Baptist and be baptized by him. That didn't happen. God put out, the. He, he expressed his perfect will to the nation and said, I, need, I want you to go to John and be baptized by him in water. Certain of the nation submitted their will to the perfect will of God and went to John and were baptized by him in water. But actually the vast majority of the Jews didn't, um, including the, the Pharisees and the lawyers. They were not baptized by John. And the scripture very plainly tells us that they rejected the will of God for themselves. And so that is um, how God's perfect and permissible will um, are revealed to us in Scripture, and that's how it actually plays out in in life. In everything, God has His perfect will. Now, when God's perfect will is done, um, then perfection... Operates through God's perfect will. Speaking, thinking about our Lord Jesus, He's the only man who ever lived who submitted to the perfect will of God all the time. He never once stepped outside of the perfect will of God. There was this one occasion in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was. Um, Confronted with the fact that he would have to take upon himself the sin of mankind and be be separated from God the Father for the very first time in all eternity, and also to obviously incur the wrath of God for for the sins of the people, and so his human nature drew back from that. You know, he, he had, it, it was just a heavy price to pay, and so he did. He said, "Father, is there any other way we can do this?" and uh, you know, God said, no, there's no other way. And so our Lord says, not my will, but yours be done. That was the only time, a one and only time that the Lord's will, he didn't digress, he didn't step outside. He was asking the Father, is there a way we can get around this? Um, because in the natural, he didn't want to do it. His will was, I, I can't do this. You know, this is just too high a price you're asking me to pay here. Um, but nevertheless, he then and submitted, still submitted his will to the will of the Father, and so all from the time he was born until that time uh, when he went to the cross and he died, he was always walking in the absolute perfect will of God the Father. He never stepped outside of that. Remember when our Lord taught us to pray um, in a manner he said? One of the parts that we should pray is, "Thy will be done on earth." wow as it is in heaven. And so our Lord was alluding to the fact of God's perfect will be done on earth because in heaven God's perfect will is accomplished. There is no opposition to the perfect will of God in heaven. It is only in this life, on this planet that we live on now, that there is opposition. That, that mankind rejects the will of God for their lives. In heaven that doesn't happen. In heaven it's perfect. And so everybody is completely submissive to the perfect will of God and so it's a perfect environment there is no um, clash of will so to speak on in this life it's different because in this life the will of man prevails supreme even um, to the point of rejecting the will of God so God's will is not forced upon mankind in this life on this planet Israel is a case in point. God was; It was not his will that they should have a king. They wanted one. God permitted them. It was not God's will that Israel reject being baptized by John, but many did. Rejected the will of God for their lives, and so were not baptized by John. And so that's the, the difference between the, the perfect will of God and the permissible will of God. And as I've said basically that when we submit to the perfect will of God, then the perfect will, uh, circumstances take place in our life so to speak Within, you know, we can then walk even as jesus walked um and you know there's a whole lot on teaching along that line but nevertheless i just wanted to get across the two main points today and that is that we as the makeup of man we have of, made up of two primary parts we have the the outward man and we have the inward man the outward man in our, is our bodies our inward man is made up of four primary parts which is our spirit our soul, which is our mind, um, our conscience, and our will. And our will is a free will, and it is not subject to anything. Um, God has given to us our will. We decide what we're going to do in this life. Uh, Our our decision reigns supreme. Um, And that is what we really want to touch on and and, and look in more depth, is how the will of man is actually played out in this life. But, as I said, we had to then reconcile the will of God and the will of man because quite often the will of God and the will of man are completely opposite to each other Um, and so how is it possible that the scripture does say that God works all things together uh, according to the good pleasure of his will so God is still God in the earth even though mankind has been given their own free will and we'll get into that in a little bit more depth but in order to us to understand how it is that the free will of man and the will of God, the perfect will of God, are reconciled, we need to to understand a little bit more about the will of God. And the will of God, as we've seen in Scripture, has two aspects to it. It is the perfect will of God, which is what God has always ordained should happen, and then there is the permissible will of God. And anything done outside of God's perfect will is then done in God's permissible will because God permits that to happen Um, and so that's the difference well not the difference but that it kind of explains um, an aspect of the will of God uh, in our lives and we're going to end the teaching on that particular point today.